Happy New Year. Welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Julie. And that makes me Joe. And you've survived uh, 2020 along with us. And it's time for another year of listening to us talk about books. Hopefully you're up for it. Last time we talked about our favorite books of the year. So I'm going to go back a little bit and pick up a couple that I have read um, over the last several weeks this time. The first one is called This Close to OK by Lisa Cross Smith. This is a book I got from Book of the Month Club, and I really was excited because it, it's by a Louisville writer. Um, this Close to OK is about a woman who is driving home across the bridge in Louisville, and she sees a guy about to jump off. And without thinking, she stops her car, talks him down off the bridge, and ends up taking him home with her for the entire weekend. Um, and then the story goes through the secrets that both of them are holding on to and the changes that both of them need to make. So it was just a really interesting premise. It was um, a, a really interesting book to read. Then I read Never Can Say Goodbye by Sari Baton. Um this was, I ordered this from The Strand in New York. We mm-hmm. visited it when we were in New York a couple of years ago and just really loved it. I bought the first um, essay collection in this little series when I was there. This one is um, a collection of essays by writers who just are in love with New York. And they either can't stand to think about leaving it or leaving it changed them profoundly um, in ways that they're really sad about. So it was really Fun to read this tribute to a city that I love so much. Shout out to The Strand, which is a super cool place and, and I know has been struggling during 2020. Hopefully they get that turned around. Uh, you read me some of this. It was mm-hmm. some fun stuff. I didn't mention to you. I really hope the title is a Bob Dylanism. Uh, the song on Planet Waves, Never Can Say Goodbye. Probably comes is. up there, uh, which hopefully is about Dylan in New York City, which would <laughs> add something to it. But that's all... Speculation, other than that, it's a good book. The last one I'm going to talk about today is one that I got for Christmas and probably would have made my top 10 of last year had I finished it one day earlier. I finished it on (laughs) New Year's Day. Um, But it's called A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And unless you've been living under a rock, you have to have heard about this book. Everybody was so excited about it throughout the fall. It came out in November. I had read his other two books. You had gotten me to read them. What What are the names of the other two books again? It's been years. Um, I'm blanking on it. The, the policy one is is uh, drawing a blank for me. The other one has to do Dreams of My Father. That's it. Okay. Is the, the sort of memoir. Okay. So I knew that he was a really, really good writer. And this book was just gorgeously written. I have no idea what kind of help he had with this book. I know that he in the book talks about writing it longhand on his legal pads and then um, transcribing and editing. So it seems like he did a lot of the work for it himself. May not have used any kind of ghostwriter at all to help him. I don't know. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely a beautiful book. And as I read it, I was just, I just, it was so common sense. So many of the things that he talked about, they just made so much sense to me in a world that has increasingly not felt like it made any sense lately. So I loved it. I would recommend it to anybody. Well, I'm going to read it too. So we'll talk about it in more uh, depth once I do, but uh, ironically enough, I'll lead off mine with uh, Barack Obama, The Story by David Marinus. Um, I started this uh, back, I think, in November. It's an incredibly exhaustive biography. Which, you read it for a long, long time. Yeah, it's par for the course for Marinus, but uh, it was interesting. The, the issue is it's very much centered around Obama as a young man, and 
to some extent that was helpful because it's a part of his life that doesn't tend to get a lot of uh, attention. And I mean, Marinus is exhaustive to the point of cataloging old girlfriends. I mean, people you just wouldn't know about but for <laughs> this book. Uh, and, you know, Marinus was very candid at the outset in saying this is a little more of a challenge because of Dreams of My Father uh, and the extent to which Obama's told his own story. And he said, but I'm going to tell it and I'll kind of remark where it diverges, where what I found diverges from the narrative. Uh, you know, not so much that he wanted to do this to kind of pick at Obama as just to say, uh, you know, a lot of times it was that Obama uh, would make composites of, of people. He would talk about some guy who was a buddy of Obama's and he'd say, now this guy showed up in Obama's book, but he was called such and such. And it seems like it's this guy mixed with this guy and maybe a little bit of that guy. And Obama was candid about doing that. Uh, I mean, that's what you would do if you're going to write your own life story. It's kind of uh, daunting for random friends uh, when you're a high school student or a college student <laughs> to, to face the idea that, you know, here you go, 40 years later, let's throw all your dirty laundry out. So, Well, and I can't remember what he did at the beginning of Dreams of Our, of Our Fathers, but it is common practice to include a note that says, you know, many characters yeah, identifying did. details, etc. So, Yeah, he, he covered himself that way. Uh, so Meredith's book is, is exhaustively chronicled. It's really well written. Uh, if you want a balanced overview of his life, it's not going to be a tremendous success for you, so go into it with that. But if you want some really in-depth information on who he was as a young guy, who his family was. I mean, I, I was well into this book before Barack Obama enters the scene. <laughs> I mean, a third or more of this book is taken up with, you know, his parents and his grandparents. And I think it went back to his great-grandparents in pretty good depth. Uh, but but Marinus would, would posit that all of this, you know, was, was important in who he was and, and tells an interesting story. But be prepared. If, if you're going for this, you're going for a deep dive on the early years. <laughs> so you have to really, really want to know all the information. For this yeah. One. So, and, and I'll be interested to see how it, it, you know, weighs in with another dose of his own story. So, Well, I mean, it, it's all in the angle that you're taking, too. In A Promised Land, Obama's goal was not to write exhaustively about his own life. It right. focuses on that first term of his presidency and on what led up to that. So it, it's a lot about policy and it's a lot about his own thoughts and reasoning for why he made the decisions that he did. Um, he talked about some of the decisions that he made that I personally questioned at the time. And as he explained it, I was like, oh, well, even if I don't, don't still agree, I get what you were talking about. I just, you know, I liked seeing puzzle pieces click together. Well, maybe that would be a gratifying thing about the memoir process is yeah. a chance to say, hey, you thought I was a rockhead. Here's what <laughs> I was trying to do. Yeah, I just, I found that, it, and the tone all the way through was just very measured, very calm. Um, so I just, I appreciated the inside look. So I'll go straight from that into the other political books I read that were interesting. Rage by Bob Woodward. I talked about it. Uh, mm -hmm. I had been reading it. It was all I thought it would be. Uh, it was the book I set out to get when I checked out Fear by Accident from the library, which was more about Trump's uh, first two years as president, whereas Rage was the 2020 book uh, that Woodward made a mini crap storm when the word came out that Trump had told him uh, back in March that he knew COVID-19 was a really big deal. Uh, and Woodward sat on this for months before that became public. Uh, ended Yikes. up not really making 
a lot of difference what he did say when, uh, but even more than fear, rage was was incredibly compelling to get more of the inside details with Fauci and Trump and, and all the players in the COVID stuff. The last 100 to 200 pages of the book, uh, he, he was really mining some territory that, as far as I can tell, nobody else has really gotten into in hmm. book form. So super interesting. Um, Bob Woodward, uh, just tip of the hat to him. And on the other side of the scale, Mitch Please by Matt Jones. Um, if you're a Kentucky person, you have some frame of reference for Matt Jones, Eastern Kentucky guy like yours truly, um, came into the world consciousness as the writer of a sports blog that, as they used to joke, looked like something somebody formatted on a you know 1980s Atari or something. <laughs> you still read it exhaustively. Oh, it, it, yeah, but it was absolutely must read. Uh, Matt's kind of fallen off the radar for me in large part because of what was going on here. He was thinking about running for U.S. Senate and the seat that Mitch McConnell won for the sixth time, I believe, uh, in November. And he writes about that process, but intersperses it by going to all 120 Kentucky counties. Uh, So it's kind of a list of grievances with Mitch McConnell, the inside story of why Mitch McConnell keeps winning elections. And let me give you a guess here. It's a thoroughly dysfunctional process that Matt uh, talks about here as far as how he interacts with Amy McGrath and with Chuck Schumer and the National Democrats, who ultimately he felt like kind of didn't do anything to make his life any easier, uh, kept him out, and he would tell you kept Mitch in at the end of the day. Um, but but meanwhile, while he does that, he talks about his home state and Kentucky and the challenges that anybody would have to face Mitch McConnell, which would be daunting for anybody, whoever it is. I mean, the man's been in the Senate since 1984. Uh, he's built up uh, a lot of, of support uh, within what is now a very red state. And, and Matt does a good job of saying the kinds of things that would have to take place for somebody to challenge him while he decides that ultimately that somebody wouldn't be him. So, uh a lot more meat on this bone than I thought there would be. Yeah, you were not sure going into this exactly what you were picking up. You um, you, you did not expect it to be as in- enjoyable, maybe the wrong word, um, but informative and broad, maybe, as it was. Right. On both fronts, um, I very nearly didn't get it from the library. That was the book oh, that gosh. I went to check out, and they gave my book to somebody else who pulled back into the parking <laughs> lot and was like, we didn't want this book, you know, so... <laughs> Anyway, I, I love your Warren County Public Library, even even though uh, it's it's iffy at times. But uh, thank you anyway for that helping me get a hold of That is the only problem that you have had with them. Yeah, they, they've been remarkable, <laughs> and, and that one worked out, too. Uh, so that was the heavy lifting. I also I read a uh, baseball book called Before the Glory by a guy named Billy Staples. Billy Staples talked with about 20 different former players kind of told the stories of adversity in their lives. And it would be, you know, people who came from poor backgrounds. Uh, he talked with Monty Irvin, so some of the early African-American ball players, and the things they went through and how baseball helped them overcome difficult issues in their lives. Fun little inspiring book. Enjoyed it. Uh, the others I read, Billy Ball by Dale Tafoya, talks about Billy Martin and the Oakland A's. Martin's the kind of guy you won't see anymore. In 1980, he managed the A's. 
an alcoholic who got into fights with people all the time. I mean, nowadays, I don't think people would hire him to manage a McDonald's, but he managed (laughs) many baseball teams very well before he died uh, in a car accident in 1989. Mm. Uh, Big Sexy by Bartolo Colon. The title offended our eight-year-old deeply. You Uh, listened to this on audiobook, and no one had any choice but to listen to him keep referring to himself as Big Sexy. Well, Bartolo is a character. If if you are not familiar with him, visualize somebody's like rotund, uh, out-of-shape uncle who happened to pitch in the major leagues until he was like 48. Bartolo hit a home run in his 40s, which is one of the most purely joyful things I've ever seen in life. It still just makes me smile to think about it. Uh, and, and his story was a fun one. And a book called Madness by a guy named Mark Mailer, where he talked about the 10 greatest, in his opinion, NCAA basketball championship games. Uh, all were fun. None were especially you know, heavyweight. So we've mentioned them. We, we uh, can move on to other things. You read a lot more than I did over these past several weeks because you were doing everything you could to hit your hundred. I did. I did. About five <laughs> o'clock on December the 31st, I finished Mitch Please and arrived at the mark. But uh, how many books did you read again? 4,802? <laughs> I read 130. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's still more than a hundred. Maybe maybe a couple more. I stopped counting at one hundred and thirty. <laughs> Based on your math, you lost the ability to work that high. But, but you read them anyway, Dad. Got it. Oh, okay. So today, what we're going to talk about together is a little bit different. It's um, a section of books that we've read. We're going to talk about an author who's a favorite for both of us. Um, And this author came back to our attention recently as Joe got a subscription to Masterclass for Christmas. Indeed, I did. Talk about what Masterclass is? A Masterclass, the idea is you take these little brief video-based classes from someone who is, as they would put it, a master. Uh, Whether it is in writing, whether it is in cooking, uh, whether it is in playing the guitar, and the idea being that over a couple dozen of these brief video classes with supporting materials, uh, you learn something about what makes Malcolm Gladwell a great writer, Steve Martin a great comedian, uh, Tom Morello uh, a great guitar player, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, those are our actual real examples from their catalog. Uh, something I'd always kind of kicked around is like, this might be fun. So now I'm experiencing it. And the class that you started with was Malcolm Gladwell's, who is a favorite of both of us. Um, Let's talk about first, what does he, because he is one of the most eclectic, unique, and interesting writers that I've ever read. So how would you describe, what does he write? Well, you're going to say eclectic and unique. Let's start with the guy. I mean, he's he's a like part Canadian, part Jamaican guy who looks kind of like Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons, uh, <laughs> except thinner and, and with his glasses on. Uh, you know, he's just, he's so different. He's so different in everything. But he is so interesting. And maybe, uh, okay, then this is high praise because you love his books. I do. Love his books. Yeah. But you might like his podcast even more. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of a revelation, and it makes him a natural for something like Masterclass. It's called Class. Revisionist History? Yeah, yeah. That's that's one. He has another one oh. now. I've uh, only ever listened to that one. The, the other one has to do with songs. I'm blanking on the name of it. I've listened to a few episodes of it. Oh, it's, it's oh that sounds too. perfect for you. Of course. Uh, you know, it probably came out of the great Revisionist History one where he did, he stopped loving her today and... and 
I can't even talk about it. It's so dang good. But but <laughs> anyway, anyway. I'm, okay. I'm, so Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. He's a columnist, and he was a columnist. He may still be for the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we say what does he write. The answer really is whatever he feels like, whatever catches his interest. Um, and, and the big thing about him that makes his books really fun to write, because honestly, when I look at what his books are about, I have not wanted to read any single one of them. They don't, the descriptions of them don't feel like anything that I would be interested in. But the way that he follows a trail, and one thing he starts writing about leads him to another thing, which then pieces together into another thing. And before you know it, you're just in this fascinating rabbit trail of things that you never even knew you needed or wanted to know, but they suddenly feel very, very important, very interesting. By the time you've finished one of his books or listened to one of his podcasts, you feel like you've done something, you've experienced something, and you come out of it ready to look at the world, at pieces of the world, in a different way. Well, and that's really a good way of explaining it. Um, you know, I think I talked about some of this with Moneyball. I'm always impressed and, and intrigued by people who can bring a different viewpoint to the same old things. And that's very much what, what Malcolm does and we're um, not going to give anything away in any of his books but with what you were talking about there i'd read outliers first i think on your recommendation mm-hmm. you read it and loved it and said i had yeah, to read it was my it. first one and yeah. it was wonderful but i did not really jump on board with malcolm gladwell until david and goliath for the exact reason that you're saying mm-hmm. is that any story he can put a fresh perspective on that makes you see all of it in a brand new way. And that's what he did with the story of David and Goliath at the beginning of that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's how he opens the book. And yeah, if you want a little shallow dive on Malcolm Gladwell as a writer, you know, go to Barnes and Noble or, or the library or wherever, get David and Goliath and read the first chapter. If you're not hooked, one, put the book down and check for a pulse. Make sure that you have one. But, but two, yeah, you're probably not going to be because um, it's, it's the most common story. One of the most common stories. Yeah. Like you don't have to be from the Christian tradition to know the story of David and Goliath. It's it, the you know the little man taking down the big Goliath is a cliche anymore, and Gladwell deconstructed it and put a new spin on it. Um, in a way that made me think, okay, I, I will not put this book down. I want to see where you're taking this idea. Right. B- because in re-examining an old story and seeing it with new eyes, one, we come to a different and I would argue superior understanding of the old material. And two, we can take what we learn there and turn it on everything else, which is what he does with the rest of David and Goliath. It's a story about underdogs. It's how do underdogs find strength in the very nature of being underdogs? What makes massive favorites, gargantuans, U.S. Steel, the New York Yankees, Goliath, suddenly beatable? What, what are the inherent issues in strength and weakness, or should I say in our understanding or misunderstanding of strength and weakness that render it an incomplete portrait? And what can we learn from that? Um, Outliers was along the same kind of lines. He's talking about success. Uh, you know, outliers being, if there's a continuum of, of human behavior, what makes, or, or human activity, what makes people wildly successful? 
Um, the, the big idea that comes out of outliers is the whole 10,000 hour hypothesis that if you want to become masterful at something, mm-hmm. you, you need to do it for roughly 10,000 hours. Now that number he's quick to say is not sacred, but the level of experience you achieve over that really, he felt like across many, many fields kind of stood out as a universal, you know, this is the point. If, if this is your thing. Spend 10,000 hours on it, and then you'll be probably as good as you're going to be at it. So, Which the first time I heard that, I just laughed at. But the more you think about it, I mean, that's true. We, we don't have a ton of overnight successes. We have people who put in the time working and practicing. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's books, again, like I said, I, I was a slow convert, but I really love the way that... Um, like in the master class, he talks about how he um, he stays curious, and that curiosity comes through in every single book um, in a way that by the time talking to strangers is the last one, right? It is correct. And I got it for you for something birthday or something. Yeah. And I remember after a couple of weeks saying to you, "Have you not read it yet? I want to read it. Hurry up!" <laughs> I think you ended up liking that one even more than yeah, I did. Yeah, but um, yeah. I, like I say in the beginning, I I was just reading because you made me, and now I'm. <laughs> Pushing you to finish your own book so that I can get it, um, mm-hmm. because he's that kind of—he's just that kind of a writer. Yeah, and, and again, the beauty being, there are so many ways to interact. The books are good. There aren't that many of them. I think I counted up five or six. I mean, it, he does have stuff out there in the New Yorker. One of the books is a collection of columns, where you can get such intricate masterworks as his one on how there's only one type of ketchup. <laughs> and how that's unique. In the condiment world, there are like 500 kinds of mustard. There's one kind of ketchup. And why is that? But, you know, listen, if you are the kind of person who makes New Year's resolutions and you want to learn something, this is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, you could pick up any one of his books and, and probably, you know, push yourself on that way. You just want to um, become a more well-rounded person. You could start worse places than Malcolm Gladwell. Well, or, again, the podcast. Or if yes. you like me... Um, have a masterclass subscription. I'm about halfway <laughs> through. I can very much recommend uh, his for the the interesting insights into how he does what he does. Um, I think if if you're curious about anything, you'll you'll find something there to make it worth your while. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we know in 2021. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Check us out on. Uh, you're on Instagram now? Yeah, we have an Instagram account at Paperback Readers Pod. And we're on Twitter. It's, I believe it's Peaback Readers Pod because you can't fit all those characters in. So the letter P, Back Readers Pod. You Stop can al- laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you can always email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com and let us know how you're starting your new year of reading. Thank you again for joining us into our second season. May it be a happy 2021 for everybody, and for goodness sake, keep reading.